Hello everyone, this is Dr. Casey Patrick, and before we roll into today's episode, I wanted to take a second to wish the MCHD Paramedic Podcast a happy birthday. April 2023 is our four-year anniversary, and we would be remiss if we didn't thank everyone out there listening for keeping this thing afloat, for learning a little bit about EMS medicine, and for really turning this into something that we never could have imagined four years ago. If you're a regular listener and you've watched closely, you'll notice that it's been a month since our last episode was released. No, we're not going anywhere. No, there are no problems or issues. We're going to keep creating the same great content for you that we have since the very beginning, but we are going to back off to a monthly schedule as opposed to a bi-weekly schedule that will allow us more time to create the episodes that you've known and grown to love over the past four years. As always, if you have ideas for future podcasts, feedback, criticism, anything in between, please shoot us an email at podcast at mchd-tx.org. And without any further delay, let's roll into today's episode. Medic 43, District 1, Engine 51, Response. Cardiac Hello, everybody. Welcome again to another edition of the MCHD Paramedic Podcast. This is Dr. Casey Patrick, and joining me today is my regular partner, our medical director, Rob Dixon. Good afternoon, everyone. And today we're going to broach a potentially difficult subject that we've been talking about all week uh, here at MCHD. And before we get into it, I've got to give huge props and thanks to Ginger Locke and Dr. Maya Dorsett, who recently released an episode on the Medic Mindset podcast, covering and really providing the blueprint uh, on how to discuss death notification in the EMS setting. A lot of what we've talked about here, I talked about this with my paramedics at ESD 11 earlier in the month of February, really just laid the groundwork. You can go step-by-step step through the podcast, and it's just, it's absolutely excellent. And for that reason, I was really initially leery of duplicating or being derivative and trying to do a death notification podcast here at MCHD. However, after talking to and educating 500-plus really experienced seasoned paramedics over the past month, both at ESD 11 and here at MCHD, uh, Dr. Dixon and I decided this morning that we wanted to share more of what we learned from our paramedics as opposed to what's already been covered on the Medic Mindset podcast. So we'll link it in the show notes. Y'all go listen to it. It's, it's exceptional. But after talking to 500 medics over a couple weeks, we've got some additional tidbits, I would say, to maybe add to that and hopefully just bring this more to the forefront. Yeah, I'd say before we start with the tidbits, I think I definitely don't want to recreate. They did a fantastic job on the mindset talking about this subject, a very difficult subject, but I want to give Casey props for bringing that to ESD 11 MCHD because really historically here, this is something that we looked and observed when we go out in the field. Our chiefs and, and senior medics do very, very well here. And then when we really listened to the Mindset podcast and Dr. Dorsett, we realized there's a, we, could, we could take what they're doing, their practice, and put it into a conceptual framework, which refer to their podcast for it, uh, but would 
we would have a couple, a little bit better, tighter framework, almost like uh, a, a protocol, even though you, I don't believe you can write something like that. You can't write for every contingency, but it does give us, the, the podcast gave us a great framework to fit our own practice into, and it is a, a, a place to start for our younger medics. So I think it was super, super useful for me, even as an experienced provider sitting through it. Yeah, and I'd be remiss while we're giving credit before we roll in. Uh, I had uh, just an immense amount of help at ES11 from my chief of quality, Javier De La Rosa, who worked on the presentation, on the audio and video editing for our, for our work there, and our CE here at MCHD wouldn't have been possible without his work as well. And really, this wasn't a typical CE topic for us. I mean, this wasn't push-dose pressors, this wasn't DSI, this wasn't IV bolus nitro. And when we teach those subjects, oftentimes it's new-ish or new for everyone. And it's like a new build. You're building a new home. You start with the foundation, you frame, you rough in electrical and plumbing. Whereas this is a topic where whether our providers are necessarily doing it well or poorly or immaturely or somewhere in between, this is more of a remodel. And the beauty of what we want to talk about going forward here today is that we learned a ton from our medics in these conversations. So the first topic that we decided we bring to today's discussion was the idea of death notification and, you know, the hand holding and the creating a moment and the choreography and all the things that, that Maya and Ginger talked about apply in almost all situations. But there are a couple where our medics really wanted to make sure we hit on, and that was we got to stay safe, and this really doesn't necessarily apply in crime scenes, correct? Absolutely right. You know, I mean, I think you have to, you have to, you have to judge your, your audience and the patients, and I think our chiefs are very good at reading the scene, the patients, the patient's family, and our med all medics, I think, are incredibly intuitive. That's why they last in this work of reading, reading the room and reading the, the danger signs. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about that later, about kind of maybe our own uh, reactions to how people grieve and things like that can kind of cloud that a little bit, but certainly this is not a talk about something that's a potential crime scene. So the grieving mnemonic was presented in the Medic Mindset podcast, and this was from some research from the University of North, North Carolina 15 so years ago, 15 or so years ago, and we're not going to rehash grieving. We'll link it in the show notes. We think it's an excellent tool for you to use to brush up on this, to teach this, to make sure that your framework is correct. The I in grieving hits on the, necess the necessity of identifying yourself to the families and identifying who the families are to the patient. We got a similar theme from multiple uh, medics that we look up to and that we admire, specifically Chief Kevin Mifflin brought up the importance of both identifying yourself identifying the family member, but also individualizing that process, the setting the stage, the updates, the, even the termination throughout the entire death notification process that we call the family and the patient by their names as to both identify and then carrying that on into individualization. That's a great point, Casey, about individualizing this. I think it's so, so important as well. The next would be educate, and then our medics added in eye level. 
which I think Lee brought that up, super duper important. And it's kind of one of the first things I like to do is put myself at the same level, if at all possible, with the, the family members, the patients that I'm, I'm interacting with. I think it's super important. I think that conveys a sense as a provider that I have time for you. I have time for this. I think that if we, if we look over them or down on them, and it almost looks like an emergency physician, like we feel, and like emergency providers, we're, we're trying to get to the next patient, the next call. And I think educate and, you know, eye level. Eye level is so, so important. Where you're, where you're addressing the patient's family from. One of the other pieces that came to the forefront in discussing this with literally hundreds of folks was not only to educate at eye level, and sometimes you may not have a chair. When if you look at the literature from emergency medicine setting, from the hospital setting, it always says to pull up a chair. Well, if you're in someone's living room, if you're in their garage, if you're in a driveway, you're not going to have a chair. So the EMS situation is going to be entirely different, but you can kneel. You can squat. There are ways that you can get to eye level so you're talking to people and not at them or not down to them. The other interesting idea that we've actually moved forward with, I I talked to our FRO coordinator this morning, Brian Perry, uh, about making sure that we take these concepts to our fire partners and even to our law enforcement partners because they are all on the scene with us doing this in a combined fashion. And And when it comes to some of those difficult possible crime scenes and difficult law enforcement interactions, potentially, when we transition that patient from a living patient to a dead patient to law enforcement's purview, that has to be done collaboratively. And if we do it collaboratively, it won't be as difficult. So we want to make sure that we educate everyone involved on that scene, our fire partners, our law enforcement partners. Remember, we're a third service EMS system here at MCHD, so our, our fire folks respond separately from us, but we work on the scene together. One of the big points that multiple medics stress was in regards to the asking questions portion of grieving, and that is, you know, do you have anything else that you need from us? Is there, are there any other questions that we can answer? And one of the things that I personally think is vital, and I think that because I've learned from my own mistakes is you can't ask a question and then not give patients or patients families time to answer when we say we want to ask questions sort of implied in that is that we've got to give them time we can't be grabbing for the bag or the stretcher or turning our backs or looking away or typing on the computer when we ask the question we have to ask them and then look at them listen and do our best to answer. We decided as we talked through this this week, and I was pretty clear on it the first week that I discussed this, and that is the number one way we can torpedo this process. What is it? Too much rushy-rushy. We cannot rush. If we are moving on to the next patient in the emergency department, the next uh, bed 18 abdominal pain, or moving to the truck to clean it and turn it over, the family is automatically going to think that whatever your next task is, is more important than their loved one. Right. So they ask, you ask, inquire if the family has any questions and you have that pause. What do you do there? And the team is there and, you know, the, the medical trash is there and the equipment's there to get cleaned up. What I would do is pause. And we talked about this in this morning. So we'd pause a little bit and then reply back to the family after a good 30 seconds, give them, give them time to respond and ask any questions. Say, 
if you don't have any questions for me right now, I'm going to tell them what's going to happen next. I'm going to have the team start policing up our equipment and, and getting the, all the, uh, the medical devices and things taken back out of the house. But if you need me or you have any questions, I'm going to come back and sit down with you and answer any questions you have. It's, I think it's a good transition to the cleanup part and how do you, how do you get yourself, law enforcement may be staying there with the, the deceased person, the family member, but we eventually have to get back in service. We've got to clean the truck. We've got to move on to the next call. And some of it has to do with just how well you manage your team and your team assignments. And it doesn't mean that you can't be cleaning up as you're asking and answering questions. It just means up, it means that has to be two separate person. Yeah. And you, you know, got to two separate people. Yeah. You got to tell the family kind of what's going to happen, what you're doing. These guys over here are doing this. And yeah, I think that's fun. What about cameras? We talked about using smartphones to communicate with family members and allowing family members to, uh, you know, call, and we'll get to that one next. But what about cameras in the home? This is one I hadn't thought about. That I had was not thought about this point. at all before. I mean, we all worry kind of about this as medical directors and as just public servants and healthcare providers that, you know, everyone has one of these things. They're ubiquitous now. And I, I assume that everything that I say and all my actions are always reproduced somewhere. But I never thought as many people as we – run resuscitations on in their home, what about Ring? How many people, how many of you listeners out there have cameras at home so you can maybe watch your, have a look at your kids while you're on shift or maybe your favorite dog at home or pets at home or whatever. I mean, how many Ring videos have you seen? So I never really thought about how many residences are, are cameraed up. And this is this is a real thing now. So it made me a little cognizant. Not that we're out there practicing bad medicine or saying or doing bad things, but I think that sometimes during a resuscitation, you know, we would say things in our own resuscitation group that we wouldn't necessarily say in front of family members. So I think we just have to be cognizant of that. An adjacent point there is that when we bring the family member in to the resuscitation, if they're amenable, another really valid tidbit that was brought up to me was making sure that whoever is responsible for the family member, the team member assigned as the liaison, needs to probably let the entire group know that Mrs. Smith, Mr. Valdez, Mr. Jones, whoever it is, this is this is their husband, this is their sister, this is their wife, and they're going to be here with us. Because I admittedly probably say things a little bit differently, hold my shoulders a little bit differently, look folks in the eye a little bit differently. Whether that's right or wrong, good or bad, I probably could work on continuous professionalism. But I know that I've said things in resuscitations and in critical CPR situations, airway management situations, when the room was just me and my nurses that I would never say if it was me, my nurses, and a family member. So it's a good idea to make sure you give everybody a heads up that the family member is there watching. Agreed, Casey. And when you're, you're on that topic of privacy and kind of conversations and actions and privacy, let's talk about this in HIPAA. How do you, you know, we talk about using, you know, if you have to call family members, how does HIPAA play into that? So you're in the room with some family members and uh, another family member calls in or how do you, how do you, is that, fit the kosher HIPAA guidelines. So 
What should our ruler be there for HIPAA? I thought your description was was pretty perfect. I think it was Thursday in our in our presentation, and that is making sure we allow the family members to dial and we allow it to occur on the family member's phone if it occurs on our phone. Again, allowing them to dial and making sure that they know who they're calling and they're doing the calling. To me, taking it dogmatically from the physician standpoint, if they dial the number and hold up the phone, they've given you permission to talk with the associated family members. Like anything else in a critical care situation or resuscitation situation, CPR, if it doesn't feel right, then I would probably divert and avoid that. But if they look on their phone and they pull up mom and say, you know, and you see mom there on the, I call my dad, it says dad in my iPhone. If you see dad there and they dialed the phone for you there and you clear it before you start discussing, you know, to me that seems to uh, pass pass the muster. It's a pretty common occurrence. I think a lot of families want to reach out. They normally have someone in their family or in their their sphere that's a healthcare provider has some some increased health literacy a different a distant family member that they want to be involved in the conversation i think that's completely appropriate excellent and again these are just some some tidbits that we've gathered from our medics we have really enjoyed getting to talk with them this week and my week previously with with the medics at EST11 just really had excellent feedback, had additional ideas that we wanted to share with you all. This is not, again, meant at all to duplicate the Medic Mindset podcast, and I would urge you all, please, to take a listen. This was, These were just some ad- additional points and pieces that we felt were worthwhile to share with everyone. This is a topic that has not been discussed enough historically in EMS or in emergency medicine, although with our podcast today, with the recent Medic Mindcast podcast, with the recent PEC data from Dr. Crow and her colleagues looking at the association between death notification and EMS burnout. And then I'm scrolling through my email last night and saw a notification on a March 2023 paper in the Annals of Emergency Medicine, looking at death notification from an emergency medicine resident perspective. And as I scrolled down and looked through the article, there was a table towards the end that was 10 pointers for giving death notification. And as you rattled down each individual number, it looked pretty darn similar to grieving. It sounded almost exactly like the Medic Mindset Death Notification Podcast with a lot of similar themes that we've discussed here in Montgomery County down in ESD 11 over the past month. So it's always good to have a little validation and you can't talk about the subject too much. I'm just going to have to point out to all the listeners and viewers a little bit of my conspiracy theory creepiness that we happen to be talking about this this week, and then it comes up on your Twitter feed. That's just, it amazes me, but no, I'm not going to get too conspiracy. I just think like, I'd be like, oh, we've been talking about that all week. Someone is listening. It wasn't social media. This was, okay, a, okay. This, was a, this was an email. Okay, uh, okay. So I, I think while Big Brother probably is listening, <laughs> I felt pretty safe on this one. So again, take a listen to the Medic Mindset podcast. We'll link it in the show notes. Yeah, great cast. We'll great link cast. the grieving uh, PEC paper from a decade plus ago from the University of North Carolina. Please take a look at that. It's just an excellent framework. We'll link the new Annals of Emergency Medicine paper. New, hot off the presses, worth taking a look. And as always, this is a conversation that we hope we'll have more to build on. 
from a conceptual standpoint, an analytical standpoint in the future. We hope to see more research like uh, Dr. Crow's and those from the ES ESO folks looking at how this process actually affects us in the emergency setting with the idea that everyone does this already. And at MCHD, we know that our folks do it well, but we just because we do something well doesn't mean we don't have room to improve, don't, doesn't mean we don't have room to be more deliberate and more intentional and do some focus practice and some focus uh, role playing. We've got some scenarios up for our MCHD listeners on target solutions. Please take a look at those, print them off, practice them with your partner, with your district chief, and try to implement some of the framework that we talked about over the past week. As always, if you want to see our faces and take a look at us on YouTube, we're up on the MCHD YouTube channel. Please leave us a like or a listen wherever you listen to your podcast. We are really attached to five-star reviews, so leave us one. We appreciate it. If you have ideas for future podcasts, podcast at mchd-tx.org. We love to hear from our listeners. Thanks for joining us today, Dr. Dixon. Thank you all, as always, for listening. We'll be back again with another podcast soon. This podcast was brought to you by the Montgomery County Hospital District, Texas. Production and editing by Andrew Adams. Questions or comments, which are always welcome, can be sent to podcast at mchd-tx.org. Make sure to subscribe above to keep updated to all our future casts. Music, copyright, Kevin McLeod, and Competech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0.